It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Tortoise. Hello, it's Basha here and you're listening to the Slow Newscast from Tortoise. This is episode four of our new mini-series, Epstein's Money Men, The Prey. And just to warn you, it contains some references to sexual violence. I'm handing over to my colleague, David Taylor, who's reported the story. I'm not a sexual predator. I'm an offender. It's the difference between a murderer and a person who steals a bagel. Sometime in 2011... Jeffrey Epstein found a formula to make the appalling seem mundane. It was about 18 months after he had left prison for solicitation of prostitution from an underage girl who he had paid for sex at his Florida home. 36 girls, some as young as 14, had made allegations against him, but he'd struck a plea deal and only two counts were dealt with. Epstein was a registered sex offender, but back in New York, in his mansion on the Upper East Side, he was trying to find a way back into the social circles of the wealthy elite. In the background, the Epstein sex trafficking operation was growing as he cultivated his French modelling agency contact to procure more girls. And while Epstein needed the banks and the money men to make his empire possible, Building a network of influence was an important factor in helping Epstein to project power and respectability. He did have this Jekyll and Hyde personality. He was this awful sexual predator uh, when he thought no one was looking. But the other side of him was this absolutely talented Mr. Ripley, charming manipulator who we now know was actually able to con men who are very successful ordinarily in their businesses. This is Vicky Ward, the investigative journalist who profiled Epstein for Vanity Fair years before the sex allegations began to emerge. He was able to con and manipulate some of the toughest, most successful people on the planet. If Epstein wanted social acceptance, he needed to establish a narrative that his crimes were at the low end of the scale, which is where the bagel comes in. Hundreds of millions of Americans eat them every year, and somehow the idea of stealing one seems barely a crime. First, Epstein tried it on with the New York Post. The brash tabloid published that quote from him in March 2011, comparing what he had done in Florida with stealing a bagel. I'm not a sexual predator. I'm an offender. The tabloid printed it, but definitely wasn't buying it. In a short item that described a dinner at his mansion, they called Epstein a billionaire pervert and said he was in a bromance with Britain's idiot Prince Andrew. But in wealthy New York circles, people seemed ready to help him move on. 
Remember Jess Staley, his personal banker at JP Morgan, and his old friend Leon Black, the private equity billionaire who bankrolled him with $158 million. Both rationalised that he had paid a price, served his time, made amends, and should be rehabilitated. And Epstein's calendar shows us that from politics to science, academia to philanthropy, the wealthy and influential were happy to be entertained by him in the years after his conviction. So the second richest person in the world started coming to call. First known as the entrepreneur of the personal computer revolution. Uh, he is obviously the co-founder of Microsoft. Uh, because company. if you do not know who Bill Gates is, then you have been living on Mars. The Microsoft pioneer Bill Gates is only the sixth richest person in the world today, but in 2011 he was almost at the very top of the billionaire league. He'd already personally donated billions of dollars to his Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation in support of global health initiatives to fight disease and poverty. For two decades, the Gates Foundation has worked to provide life-saving medical care to millions boosting clean water supplies, improving education. Epstein had an idea that he could get in on the Global Philanthropy Act too, as a way of laundering his reputation and earning a lot of money. And if he could recruit Bill Gates, he could recruit everybody else in the Billionaires Club. Epstein had contacts in Bill Gates's world, A woman called Melanie Walker had known Epstein for years. At one point, she worked as a science advisor for Epstein and in 2006 went to the Gates Foundation as a senior programme officer. She also introduced Epstein to Boris Nikolic, who was chief advisor for Bill Gates on science and tech. So in January 2011, Bill Gates went for dinner at Epstein's mansion joined by a hedge fund billionaire and the man's wife, a former Miss Sweden. Emails shared with the New York Times show the night was a success. Epstein emailed people saying, Bill's great. And Bill Gates emailed colleagues to say, A very attractive Swedish woman and her daughter dropped by, and I ended up staying there quite late. They met at least twice more that year. There's a photograph from May 2011 at Epstein's home where Bill Gates and Boris Nikolic are on one side of Epstein and on the other side stand former US Treasury Secretary Larry Summers and there's Jess Staley of JP Morgan, the man whose career was catapulted by his connection to Epstein. In hindsight, we can see how very clever that was of Jeffrey Epstein two people with whom Bill Gates probably felt very safe. The world at the top is extremely sort of transactional. So it's like an elite club. Jeffrey Epstein sort of, I think, discovered and then played upon the fact that once you're in, once you're inside, people seem to let their guard down. You start to get a sense of Epstein, the master networker. We all ask, why did all these brilliant, tough businessmen really not do their homework on Jeffrey Epstein. And I think he understood that once you're kind of a member of the club, people stop asking the questions that they ask to people who are outside of the walls. Later in 2011, Epstein pitches the idea of a massive charitable fund overseen by JP Morgan. He hoped Bill Gates would sign on 
and then Epstein would pull in donations from his friends and J.P. Morgan clients. And in the small print, a potential payment for him of $30 million if the fund reached $10 billion. Emails show Epstein inserting himself into a J.P. Morgan pitch, telling Jess Staley and his team, The presentation isn't tailored to Bill. He is the only person, the only one that counts. And when Gates sent a team from his foundation to Epstein's mansion in late 2011 to talk about philanthropic fundraising, Epstein ruled out the bagel analogy again. It's the difference between a murderer and a person who steals a bagel. He told people in the room that if they looked him up on the internet, they might think he was a bad person. But what he had done in paying an underage girl for sex was no worse than stealing a bagel. There was anxiety within the Gates Foundation and discussion about Epstein's criminal record. But Bill Gates continued to meet with Epstein travelling on his plane to Palm Beach in March 2013 and six months later, meeting over dinner in New York. According to calendar records first reported this year by the Wall Street Journal, they spent much of a day together in New York in September 2014, meeting other billionaires. But things were cooling. There was scepticism about Epstein. And then something revealing emerged about the way Epstein behaved with his wealthy contacts. Because in the background, Bill Gates had begun an affair with a young Russian woman called Mila Antonova, and Epstein knew about it. She was a bridge player and met Bill Gates at a tournament. Last year, I played against him at the same table at the National Bridge Tournament in Washington, D.C. I didn't beat him, but I tried to kick him with my leg. A couple of years later, Mila Antonova was introduced to Epstein when she was seeking funds to set up an online bridge school. And it was Bill Gates' advisor, Boris Nikolic, who made the introduction. After meeting the young Russian woman, Epstein didn't invest in her project, but he did pay her fees to go on a coding course. Then something really changed in the relationship between Epstein and Bill Gates. The big philanthropic deal Epstein wanted to land was going nowhere. Bill Gates was starting to feel that Epstein couldn't really deliver. You know, I had several dinners with him, uh, you know, hoping that what he said about getting billions of philanthropy for global health uh, through contacts that he had might emerge. You know, when it looked like that wasn't a real thing, that relationship ended. So by 2017, the philanthropic deal is dead and Epstein writes an email to Bill Gates. In it, he makes a threat. Khadija Safdar of the Wall Street Journal just broke new ground on this story, unearthing records that seem to show Epstein using his knowledge about Bill Gates and his affair to pressure him. Bill Gates' relationship with Epstein, I would say, is more complicated than previously thought. Epstein really wanted Gates to serve as an anchor donor for a multi-billion dollar charitable fund. And this fund was really important to him because it was going to rehabilitate his image and allow him to make millions in fees. And when he didn't get what he wanted, our understanding is that he threatened Gates by asking him to reimburse him for a payment he had made for coding school tuition for a woman that Gates had previously had an affair with. What are we seeing here? 
We know that Epstein was a predator targeting girls and young women, bringing them within his reach and using coercion and control to abuse, to silence and to trap them. This time, the prey is Bill Gates, one of the richest men in the world with a fortune of more than $115 billion. Epstein's trying to control and coerce Bill Gates into giving him what he wants. In a statement to the Wall Street Journal, a spokeswoman for Bill Gates said, Mr Gates met with Epstein solely for philanthropic purposes. Having failed repeatedly to draw Mr Gates beyond these matters, Epstein tried unsuccessfully to leverage a past relationship to threaten Mr Gates. In 2021, after 27 years, the marriage of Bill and Melinda Gates fell apart. On the 3rd of May, in identical posts on their personal Twitter accounts, the billionaire couple announced they were getting a divorce. The two say they will continue their work together at the foundation, but, quote, we no longer believe we can grow together as a couple in this next phase of our lives. The divorce quickly became a national talking point. Melinda Gates added her maiden name French to her Twitter profile, and 10 months later... She gave an interview to CBS News. There was one report that said it was multiple affairs. Do you care to say anything about that? You know, I think those are questions Bill needs to answer. Okay. And beyond the reports of infidelity was the shadow of Epstein. You know, it was also widely reported that Bill had a a friendship or business or some kind of contact with Jeffrey Epstein and that you were not... Uh, that that was very upsetting to you. Did that play a role in in the divorce at all in this process? Yeah, as I said, it's not one thing, it was many things. But I did not like uh, that he'd had meetings with Jeffrey Epstein, no. Melinda Gates made it known that she told her husband how she felt. I made that clear to him. I also met Jeffrey Epstein exactly one time. Did you? Yes, because I wanted to see who this man was. And... um, I regretted it from the second I stepped in the door. He was abhorrent. He was evil, personified. I had nightmares about it afterwards. So, you know, my heart breaks for these young women because that's how I felt. And here I'm an older woman. My God, I feel terrible for those young women. It's awful. Around two months later, Bill Gates responded with his own interview round. I certainly made a huge mistake, uh, not only meeting him in the first place, but uh, I met with him a number of times. And he admitted that just by meeting with him, he'd helped Epstein to launder his reputation. I had a goal of raising money for global health. I didn't realise that meeting with him almost downplayed uh, the incredibly awful things he did. Epstein's strategy of making his crimes sound mundane, no worse than stealing a bagel, had worked. Gates was a very rich man, and Epstein did want his money. He didn't get it, but Bill Gates gave him something else. Social redemption. He helped Epstein camouflage himself. 
We're supposed to learn from our own mistakes, but other people's errors can be instructive too. From efforts to control the weather that went disastrously awry, to the untimely death of the Segway boss, history is a treasure trove of mishaps and meltdowns that can teach us all. I'm Tim Harford, host of Cautionary Tales, the podcast that mines the greatest fiascos of the past for their most valuable lessons. Listen to Cautionary Tales wherever you get your podcasts. There are some people in public life who just seem to inflict damage on everyone who comes near them. And as banks and bankers, money men and public figures who entered the world of Jeffrey Epstein are finding out, his mark is indelible. For all of his achievements, Bill Gates is a diminished figure. Epstein has taken down royalty, the banks are in the firing line now, and new information is still emerging about Epstein's connections to powerful men. No one knows who's next. Epstein and his dark heart presented a test for many people and institutions. Jess Daly, his protector. Leon Black, who bankrolled him. Bill Gates, who helped restore him. JP Morgan, which couldn't bear to let him go. Deutsche Bank, which couldn't wait to sign him up. Even Barclays, which wanted Jess Daly no matter what baggage came with him. It was a test of character and judgement. They all failed. We knew one version of the Epstein story, the depravity of one man who ruined so many lives. But this other Epstein story is now revealing itself of banks and money men who in different ways helped him. There's no question that the system enabled Jeffrey Epstein. Without the money, without the social validation, he would never have been able to pull off this sort of sexual criminal enterprise. Since we started working on this series, two banks have chosen to settle out of court for more than $365 million rather than risk further reputational damage. But for JP Morgan, the lawsuit brought by the US Virgin Islands is still going ahead for now, and new damaging information is still being disclosed. Emails from JP Morgan employees in which several argued as far back as 2008 that Epstein should not be retained as a customer. And in July 2011, Stephen Cutler, the bank's general counsel, wrote directly to Jess Staley and others at the bank, urging them to drop Epstein. This is not an honourable person in any way. He should not be a client. So the settlements with the banks are at least a measure of justice for more than 100 women, who will benefit from the courage of that young ballet dancer and that trafficked Eastern European teenager who brought the lawsuits. But when the news of those settlements came through, it was hard not to feel that the obvious success for the women was tinged with a sense of anger and injustice. The top people stay in their posts at the banks, and it's actually the shareholders that end up meeting the cost. It feels like a morality tale with the wrong person paying the price. It's such an unsatisfactory end. 
As one New York investor source put it to me, you don't need new laws or regulations. You just have to work within the ones that already exist. But if you want a better ending, you have to have accountability. Remember Ryan, the anti-money laundering expert? Put simply, do you think that the money men and the institutions enabled Epstein? 100%. When you dissect this case, the, uh, the blood that's running through the veins of this beast is uh, the financial capital that supported it. I asked Vicky Ward, the investigative reporter, does it feel like accountability? Unfortunately, I don't think it's a huge moment of reckoning. There is still way more about the story of Jeffrey Epstein that we don't know. There are a large number of non-disclosure agreements that were signed after Jeffrey Epstein's death that we also don't know about. But that is a perpetuation of exactly what Jeffrey Epstein did to get away with his sexual crimes for so long. He used his money to get vulnerable women to sign non-disclosure agreements so that people wouldn't know of what he was doing. And unfortunately, I think that the system that he so brilliantly manipulated is alive and well and flourishing. I think that what we've learnt in the litigation around J.P. Morgan is the scale, the astonishing scale, of Jeffrey Epstein's network. But we've also seen around this litigation how everybody wants to pass the buck. A lot of people who knew what Epstein had done and could see what was going on in his accounts chose to look away. They gave him cover. Together, they camouflaged the predator. As someone in New York finance said to me, when those girls were being raped, they were holding the guy's jacket. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Slow Newscast from Tortoise. It was written and reported by me, David Taylor. The producer was Imi Harper and the editor was Basha Cummings. Sound design was by Hannah Varrell. If you enjoyed listening to this series, there's lots of other Tortoise podcasts you might like too. Just search for the Tortoise app today. Tortoise. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. How do you solve a crime in reverse when you believe that someone was murdered but have no clue who the victim was? We have to do our job, and we have to find out who did they kill, if it's possible. How are we going to do that? I'm Jake Halpern, and this is Deep Cover, The Nameless Man. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, 
Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts.